Welcome to season two of the Cinemposium podcast. I'm Reed Williams filling in for Martin. And I'm Alex Apicella. And I'm Kylie Harris. We're thrilled to be back to present and discuss some more great films for you all. I'll let Alex tell us how the show works. Every week we're going to be inviting members or collaborators of Cineposium to curate a film for us for remote viewing. Uh, and then we're going to be having a conversation about the film on this podcast. Uh, new episodes are published every Thursday and various members from Cineposium are going to be coming on to discuss with our weekly curators. So I am the curator for this week. Um, and with us on the podcast, we have, of course, Reed and Kylie. Yes, super excited for this week's episode. Yeah, thanks for yeah. inviting me, Alex. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. <laughs> um, so usually we start off with a brief summary of the film. Uh, and last night I was trying to write the summary and I was like, really struggling, um, which kind of sounds like absolutely crazy. Like, what is this movie about? Uh, well, how many times have you seen it? Like 17 times. It's, it's got to be like the David Cronenberg film that like I've seen the most. And, you know, I love like The Fly and Crash and Scanners and The Brood and Rabbit and Shivers. And stuff. Videodrome is like nothing like them. And so like I really struggle with it as a film. Because um, while it starts off like really straightforward, it eventually becomes like this techno surrealist nightmare fever dream, and I just haven't figured out what to do about that. Um, so you know, I started looking at um, places like you know Wikipedia and IMDb, just trying to find a summary of the film that I thought was actually good at describing was you know happening in the film. Um, and I found this description from the Criterion Collection, um, and it ended up being the best description of the film that I was able to find, and I couldn't come up with anything better. Um, so I'm actually just going to read the description of the film directly from the Criterion Collection and then, you know, go from there. Um, so Criterion describes Videodrome as Max Wren goes looking for edgy news for his sleazy cable TV station. He stumbles across the pirate broadcast of a hyper-violent torture show called Videodrome. As he struggles to unearth the origins of the program, he embarks on a hallucinatory journey into a shadow world of right-wing conspiracies, sadomasochistic sex games, and bodily transformations. And yeah, that's that's for drum. <laughs> it's, it's a little bit crazy. Um, but what's even crazier, I think, is that like the craziest thing about the film to me isn't even actually the techno surrealist hallucination stuff. Like, I think it's actually the fact that like this film came out in 1983, and the first 15 minutes of the film is spent talking about a genre of horror that doesn't even exist until the 2000s, and it won't even have a formal name until 2006. And we call it torture porn. My favorite genre. Um, and they, they actually like, really described it like super accurately to reality in like these first 15 minutes. They go like, there's no plot. It just goes on like that for an hour. It goes on like what? Like that, torture, murder, mutilation. We never leave the room. No, it's real sicko for perverts only. It's brilliant. There's almost no production cost. You can't take your eyes off it. It's so realistic. And that is really like every single conversation that circulates around, you know, films like Eli Roth's Hostel and James Wan's Saw and Bob Zombie's The Devil's Rejects, you know, every single torture porn film. And in Videodrome, too is, is also like accurate to the experience of trying to find some of these films in like the early 2000s as well like the characters have to search like airwaves illegally to find videodrome and they films like you know like the human centipede and the poughkeepsie tapes like you used to only be able to find those films if you were looking in some of the more suspicious corners of pirate bay because you sure as hell weren't going to find them at your local blockbuster um so like i have like a lot of like interesting thoughts about Videodrome and I feel like it's just one of those movies and no matter how many times I watch I'm never going to come out with like a single like hot take on Videodrome so I, I definitely want to hear like everyone else's thoughts on this because I feel like there's just so many ways to approach this um so what do you guys think 
Yeah, I uh, had a similar experience watching it again yesterday. Um, I think it was my third time seeing it. And yeah, I don't feel any closer to being able to fully explain what it's about. Um, Or I guess, aside from like a surface level plot summary, describing what it's about, I suppose. But yeah, it is... um, it it is kind of confounding when they get into like the ideology behind these groups who created Videodrome and um, Professor Oblivion's like whole philosophy and ideology, which I went down the rabbit hole yesterday of like seeing that Oblivion's based on like Marshall McLuhan and his ideas about media and um, and yeah, it is it is really like kind of a confounding film. It does perfect for cinema and media studies students to discuss because of its ideas about media and television and how they've sort of informed how we see even the internet and and yeah, how even I, I totally thought of you, Alex, when you're describing Videodrome and it's like low production costs and lack of plot. So yeah, there is so there are so many different threads to discuss with this film. So I'm also excited to hopefully get some clarity on on some of these things as we discuss them together. And for me, this was the first time watching it. I'd I'd crazily never seen it. Um, I don't know. I'm super conflicted about it. I mean, I I I definitely like really appreciated certain parts of it. I mean, I thought like the kind of physicality and kind of like bodily aspects that they gave to or that Cronenberg gave to um sort of like the technology was really fascinating and like seeing how you know you can see like his body interacting with um with like the cassette tapes and the like the the actual tvs and like that sort of physicality I thought that was really interesting and I'm always fascinated by depictions of like any kind of remotely BDSM type scenario. So I thought that was really great. And especially like Alex, you were saying um, in a film from the eighties, but I don't know. I'm also conflicted about what, how I sort of interpreted the, well, maybe the final message that, that he's, that Cronenberg is trying to put across. Like it, it does feel because of the way that it ends and kind of like this kind of horror scenario where, you know, like people are being physically changed by having watched Videodrome, like it's affecting their brain and like, I don't know. So I felt like it, it has maybe a bit of a moralistic kind of tone to it that I don't know that I'm, that I'm just conflicted about, I guess you could say. Um, because, you know, as someone who researches pornography, I definitely push back when people say, you know, that, like watching violence or watching, um, you know, S&M or watching BDSM type porn, like would have like an actual sort of psychological negative impact on you. I mean, I I think that's bogus. So, so I guess that part, like, I feel like someone could watch this and then take that from it. Um, and so that kind of, I'm not a fan of that, (laughs) but, um, but I think it's, it's, I still thought it was like a really interesting especially from 
back in the 80s. And it's kind of one thing I was just thinking as um, as you were talking, Reed, it almost reminds me a bit of like an 80s Black Mirror in a way kind of version. So I thought that was kind of interesting too. Yeah, I'm like, I'm glad that you brought up like the the kind of like interpretation that, that could be behind this. Because like, yeah, I, I think that that was like also like probably like the the kind of like gut interpretation that I gotten off of it and then like I started like the the Criterion collection version of the film has like a lot of extras on it like that's kind of like what Criterion prides itself on is having like so much extra content that like you have essentially like a whole other film uh in terms of extras um and it was interesting like Cronenberg like he had another ending for the film um and like in the ending uh Max Wren you know, it was supposed to commit suicide and then the screen fades to black and then it opens back up and Max Wren is reunited with Nikki Brand inside of the Videodrome set. Um, and like that was supposed to be like a, well, it wasn't supposed to be a glimpse of like a heaven or like a hell because like Cronenberg, he's a, he's a very notable atheist. He didn't, the reason why he didn't put that um, final scene in the film is because he didn't want it to be interpreted as some kind of like notion of an afterlife that he doesn't believe in. Mm-hmm. Um, but like at the same time, like I, I wonder if like the the inclusion of that final scene would have changed the way that like yeah like would have changed like that interpretation of like they they end up reunited back together in the Videodrome set as like a positive thing like mm-hmm. that's. That's that, like it, they're not being tortured in that video drum set. They're like reuniting with each other as like actual spirits in that video drum set. And so like yeah, I yeah, it's like I I just I don't know. And then like every time I watch the film, I'm like noticing completely different things. And I'm like, well, what if this isn't even a commentary about media at all? It's like a commentary on like underground government functions, which pulls into like the right wing conspiracy theory and the 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 eyeglasses shop that produces eyeglasses for the third world but also produces like nuclear tracking missiles for nato (laughs) and the whole thing is like yeah it's like i don't know i don't know what the meaning is i wonder if that's where you could maybe say one criticism of the film is in how it explains the plot um and that maybe this is a film more interested in ideas than it is in in, a, in the plot, in its actual plot, because there are so many things when I was going back and reading summaries of the plots, I'm like, oh, that's what that was. <laughs> like, that wasn't super, like, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't catch until reading the plot summary that the, the what is it, spectacular optics or something like that. It's like, they want to use Videodrome to give, like, low lifes and the people that enjoy that content, like, tumors or something. Like, I didn't catch that in the film at all. So I do wonder if this is a movie that's more, you know, again, just more interested in its ideas than delivering, like, a straightforward plot. Because another thing I read is, like, I guess James Woods is the one that came up for the idea of the ending. But it's like, I wonder what the script was even like, you know. I don't know, it's just, I, I wonder if... It, if the plot is just intentionally like really loose and um, opaque maybe. Mm-hmm. And one thing too, that I was reading too, which, which reminds me of what you were saying, Alex. So I love hearing about this alternate, this other ending because um, in a review I was reading about it, they said that potentially one of his Cronenberg's points was that um, kind of like idealizing, not, not exactly idealizing, but saying it was uh, life was actually better in the film and like in the sort of media 
setting. And so I think that could be tied to like that alternate ending. Um, and so I think that's like a really um, complicating factor and sort of really interesting thing to think about too. Yeah, it's just like I have like, like I this is like the Cronenberg film that like I, I like I said in the intro like it's just so intriguing to me. Like I just have no idea like what it is like what it means like if you ask me like what videodrome is i can give you like the very you know oh well it's a torture porn film but like what is a videodrome on like this this higher plane of existence of philosophy and and critique and media and yeah it's like it's so confusing <laughs> but like i yeah like like what we were saying i think that was kind of like the the point like i think that like like the first 15 minutes of the film to me are like the the ones that like I can stick with the most and I like understand the most because it's so grounded in like a reality and you have like essentially like all these like intellectuals approaching this same piece of media content from a different perspective you have like Brian Oblivion there and then like uh, I love like the interview scene where it's you know Nikki Brand, Max Ren and then the um the the television interviewer asking them about like the ethics of showing pornography on like a small television station and broadcasting that and like I, I felt like that is like I'm like yes this is this is a movie like I can watch another hour and a half of this this is you know really like they're engaging with this so critically and then, and then it just kind of goes like whoop okay we're going we're going over here um he has this hole in his chest now and we're gonna start putting stuff in it and it's gonna look like really Freudian and psychosexual <laughs> and it's gonna it's gonna be a mess but like I I don't know like I think that yeah it's like I think that I enjoy the mess and I I enjoy that like there's like every single review and every single like critic and every single like analyst that you can find writing an article about Videodrome has like a totally different take. Yeah, I'm definitely still processing. I think I would need to watch a few more times <laughs> before I could even feel like I've started to wrap my head around it, which is, I do definitely appreciate going, um, coming out of a movie feeling that way. Like there's so much more to think about. Yeah, I'm curious to hear because I know, Kylie, you're interested in porn studies. Alex, you're interested in horror and particularly um, torture porn. Um, and it is interesting that this film kind of engages in, with those things, and especially in how different corporate or other interests use them, which I think then kind of does also tend to Cronenberg uh, influenced by McLuhan's ideas about that, you know, most famously, like we had to read that article in one of our classes about the medium is the message and like not necessarily the content within it. So I am curious that that's something I was paying a little closer attention to watching it just because of being exposed to that article recently. So I'm curious just to hear your thoughts and on how this film reads you know, provocative content and then how these various interests manipulate that content through different mediums. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. I, I, I think that the the question of like medium, uh, like that's something like I, I paid attention to a lot, like this particular watch through for me was like trying to figure out how, like I don't know, trying to figure out how to like even phrase it. Um, all the characters at some point during this film appear on the screen on a screen if if that makes any sense like there, there's so much like work where 
um not even just not even just i I think like oblivion is like the most like obvious example where he's appearing on a television screen inside of your television screen as you're watching the show about television um but like all the characters at some point are doing that you know nikki brand is on the television set and max ren is as well and and they're kind of switching between um like the physical presence of the people onto a digital presence and i think that that's kind of like part of the 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 commentary that it's trying to do with like like um they they have like this conversation about like uh whether or not um videodrome is a snuff film um and they ask you know it is safer and easier and there's like less liability to fake it so like why would you actually you know torture and kill people on on television for entertainment when you could fake it and have it be um much more entertaining and um i think that that's like part of like what it's going through with like this this medium is, is is it's like it's fake we're watching a movie we know that it's fake and then to emphasize the fact that it's fake it's putting it onto another screen and, <laughs> and it's like i don't know i don't know how like how many stages of like inception like you can get into the into the like like separating out like what is reality and what isn't in the film especially like once the hallucinations set in and you can't tell what is real and what isn't at all um especially like the ending where like he sees his suicide on the screen and then does the suicide and you can't tell like oh did he actually kill himself until like the tv blows up um and then he does actually kill himself or we assume he does um yeah i don't know it's it's so it's so confounding to me i feel like i could spend like ten thousand years like thinking about it (laughs) i think also an interesting thing um so like um um marshall McLuhan also um, is kind of credited for having predicted the the, the concept of, of the World Wide Web like 30 years before it even existed. Um, and I think that I kind of like, in my head at least, kind of helps with like the, the fact that like I think that Videodrome is very much predicting like the rise of torture porn. Um, I don't know if it actually is, but <laughs> in my head it seems like it's really doing all that work. Uh, so. How much how much before um, those movies, like before that really hit and became popular, it was this. Because this, this came out yeah, in 1983? Yeah, so like this, this came out in like 1983. Um, Cannibal Holocaust, which I think is a film that they're kind of indirectly referencing um, from 1980. Um, and I think that that's kind of, I, the, uh, oh, what's his name? Hold on. I can't remember the name of the character. Harlan. Harlan has like this whole thing about like, um, America is getting soft, Europe is getting, you know, stronger, um, something about, like, he's going off about, like, how comfortable with violence or something like that. Um, I I feel like that's kind of, like, where that's coming from. I would be, I have no evidence that supports that, you know, David Cronenberg was aware of Cannibal Holocaust um, when it came out, other than that, like, it was not a quiet release. Um, just because of how much uh, controversy it generated being, um, you know, one of the earliest torture porn films that, like, we can count. Um, and then also, you know, the allegations of it not only being a snuff film, but that um, the director had murdered several actors who were just under contract to not come forward and say that they were still alive. Um, I don't have any evidence that, you know, Cronenberg was aware of this, but he seems to be engaging with that. And that was the only film in the time period that I could think of that significantly was um, contributing to to all this. Because, like, I mean, 
the other films that would come out that would kind of um, like work as like early predecessors, you know, would be um, like the Evil Dead, and that's much later. Mm-hmm. Um, Evil Dead is the next year, um, so that doesn't exist yet. Um, Reanimator also doesn't exist yet, and Reanimator is going to do like that same um, having a lot of like sex and porn in it um as part of that violence and that's not until 1985 um and then like the whole upkick with torture porn doesn't exist until the early 2000s so it's he's you know 30 years ahead of the time when it comes to torture porn Mm -hmm. um just like you know mclewin is 30 years ahead of the the internet (laughs) it's it's strange it's interesting it 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 doesn't I, i don't know i feel like videodrome could be a 90s movie Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, instead of, like, really early 80s. Yeah, I feel like oh, I a lot of the stuff I was reading, people kept describing it as being way ahead of its time. So that, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I mean, even though it's and, video cassettes, I feel like it's still really applicable to today, like, even though we aren't watching VHS anymore. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's that, that interview scene where... Um, uh, Nikki talks about how like we live in like constant stimulation, which you know is if if it was true then like it's definitely it's definitely true now. Um, so yeah, it does. It is just even though the the media, I guess, is the you know the technology is outdated. The how people are talking about that technology or is still very relevant and reflects similarly to how we discuss the internet and the content of the internet and how it affects our brains. So yeah, it, it is, it's really striking to, to watch it now, even though it was made in 1982. Yeah, I was um, reading on the IMDb page, the trivia. I love reading IMDb trivia. Um, and one, one of the things that it was like, I... <laughs> I don't know who wrote it. It didn't seem like it was, you know, at all like a legitimate piece of trivia. Like I think someone just kind of like had this conclusion and then stuck it on the trivia page and it just hasn't been vetted out. Um someone was like Videodrome is clearly predicting the um rise of uh video conferencing technology through having Brian Oblivion appear on a TV interview on a TV. And it specifically says because Tosh.0 later would use Skype calls to do his interviews. That's why I don't think it's very legitimate. That's why I don't think it's a legitimate piece of trivia. Um, but, but, I mean, I think if you're citing if you're citing Tosh Point as like the, the like pinnacle of like video conferencing usage, but but it was it was it was an interesting observation nonetheless of like what are we doing right now? You know, we're appearing and existing entirely on screens to each other. We're not looking each other directly in the face. We're having like I don't know, he's just like the cathode ray tubes are like, you know, we're embodying the technology in our presence. And yeah, <laughs> I don't know about the Tosh.0 thing, but that, that was an interesting observation at the very least. Totally. I mean, they, or they cite that line several times where like Obian says the screen or the televisions, the retina of the eye. And then I, I even saw somebody bring up um, just how, at the beginning, the videotape, secretary, the secretary's videotapes sort of echoes like 
Siri and Alexa and how we use technology to help guide our lives or like Civic TV's tagline that this is the one you take to bed with you and like pretty much, you know, a lot of people sleep with their phones. Like it is just, it's, it's so, and you know, Tosh.0 too, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, it is, it is just, um, it's like, definitely through the looking glass of a movie which is funny that you know there's all these little aspects of the film that we can recognize but then it's also just interesting that the plot itself is so <laughs> kind of impenetrable to to pick out of the details i can't think of another film like that where i you know understand so much of it but also feel like i understand so little of it too mm-hmm yeah, I I hundred percent feel that. I I think that that's why I keep returning to Videodrome over and over again because I it, it, it I know that it's a Cronenberg film and it looks like a Cronenberg film, and you know the the special effects and the body horror it's 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 a Cronenberg film, and then you know you watch like The Fly and you're like what happens? I mean he he wrote the script for both of them, so it's not like there's like some kind of like mis like miscommunication between like a writer's room and him or like the, the execution being different and like the directing it's it's just it's i i i don't know i i feel like i want to to listen to him talk about videodrome for like three hours and then maybe i'll get it <laughs> maybe but that's like acting under the assumption as well that, that he knew what he was doing which also you know i you know we can get like really heavy into like auteur theory and you know how how aware is like the author of like the message that their their films are um portraying and how in control of that are they actually but yeah no it's 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 also a shifting gears a little bit um i'm more and more starting to see this film appear as a uh cult classic um especially when it comes to discussions surrounding uh queer cinema from the 1980s um and I, i i see it like thrown in there with hellraiser a lot which is really interesting to me as well because that is, um, you know, I mean, it's it's not Croner, but Hellraiser to me is is in a slightly different tier of sex violence than uh, Videodrome is. I think the Videodrome is is much more heavy on the sex violence than than Hellraiser is. Um, but yeah, like that's that's interesting to me as well. Was anyone else getting any queer vibes, or is that just me? Yeah, I mean, I think like. Potentially, too, from I, I saw people referencing um, how, you know, how like they do the special effects to have the cassette tape slot in his stomach kind of visually mimics like a vagina. So maybe that, too. Um, and, but I don't know. At the same time, though, some of the depictions of the BDSM I felt were a bit like heteronormative and kind of like sort of male gaze patriarchal a little bit because it was always like a woman on screen being physically abused when you know there's plenty of female doms um it's not always like women sub male um, doms I, i thought that was a little bit the opposite end of the spectrum um but i could see how other aspects of it were maybe more queer what other what were yeah, th- what other things were you thinking, Alex? Yeah, it's like I I, I think that's like about it because like that's how I also kind of approach Hellraiser. Um, 
Hellraiser, I, I think, could have been a much clearer film if it weren't for like the staunch heteronormativity that's like associated with BDSM and this content. And yeah, I yeah, I, I'm I'm curious to see more scholarship appear about this. Uh, I don't think I would ever want to write a paper on Videodrome. I think that I would, you know, be spending, I would be dedicating myself to five years in torture if I tried to even begin to, like, super unpack that paper at, like, a, at that film at, like, a level that would, like, require a publication. Um, <laughs> but, like, yeah, I'm, I, I'm very curious to see how, um, how queer theorists who are kind of, like, working to reclaim, like, these 80s horror films um, end up kind of coping with, like, the first of all coping with like the the fact that yeah like the gaze in it is very heteronormative um and it's and it's like approach to to bdsm is incredibly heteronormative but then also like having to to engage with um the torture porn genre as a whole in order to be able to engage with like the content that's being seen in the video drum tapes um mm-hmm. because that's a place that people don't like to go <laughs> <laughs> they you know in, in any level of horror scholar um tends to stop at like we don't need to talk about anything that happened in the early 2000s because we don't really want to um like have to expose ourselves to you know what is essentially hostile like the videodrome set looks like hostile it looks like a scene from hostile and then if you could get into hostile then you have to ask yourself like what is um queerness at large doing being associated with such a hyper violent hyper realistic hyper aggressive genre um so yeah (laughs) yeah there's a lot to unpack it seems like i'm curious alex you mentioned the cronenbergness of the film um i've seen a few other cronenberg films what could you speak to that a little bit more of what in particular makes this uh, a Cronenberg film and how that clarifies your understanding of it to a certain extent? Yeah, so I think the, um, I mean, there's a, I I think a pretty decent amount of scholarship or at least, you know, amateur video essays on um, like Cronenberg's gaze and um, specifically like when it comes to body horror. I I think if you watch um, Videodrome, The Fly, and um scanners back to back um it becomes like super obvious um i think that i i don't believe it's the same makeup artist for every single film um i'm in the process of verifying that i know that rick baker did the effects for videodrome and he also did american werewolf in london um he's known for his werewolf effects um but i'm not sure if he did the other Cronenberg films as well. But um, there's, there's always like a particular brand of male protagonist that's in a Cronenberg film that I have started to kind of notice. Um, James Woods is, I feel like, the perfect embodiment of like this Cronenberg, um, this Cronenberg protagonist um, in the same way that um, Anthony Perkins as Norman Bates is like the perfect idealized example of a, uh, of a, of a male character of intrigue in a Hitchcock film um always very intelligent it's it's interesting to to see like the the level of intelligence coming out of like the the main male protagonist because even though they don't know anything about the world that they're being involved in you know all these films are always science fiction so like they know just about as much as the audience does that these characters are all like hyper grounded in our reality 
Um, and I think like James Wood's character, Max Ren, is is super like you sit there and you go like, okay, he's a businessman. Like you know that he's a businessman. You believe that he actually understands the business of of television broadcasting because he just seems like he's so competent. And even when he's like standing next to Harlan, who is clearly like the more tech savvy character, it's never once um, implied that his um, intelligence is diminished by the fact that Harlan has like a more technical knowledge than he does. And same thing with like the fly. Um, for some reason I'm blanking on um, Jeff Goldblum's character's name. <laughs> he's got like a great name in that. Brundle, <laughs> Seth Brundle. Yeah, it's like the same thing of like Seth Brundle. Um, when like Seth Brundle is in a room, you actually believe that he is in fact a scientist, and that is despite the fact that he has no idea what he's doing in the entire movie. And as a result of having no idea what he's doing, he turns himself into a human fly. <laughs> like it, it, I don't know. It, it seems like very, very Cronenberg to even just like watch the first fifteen minutes. I feel like you can point out that like, this is a Cronenberg film just based on. Um, the fact that we have like this male protagonist and then the the female uh protagonist alongside him is like not quite femme fatale but pretty much femme fatale and she's kind of there she has a competence um she has an intelligence she has a presence and an effect on the film but doesn't have any kind of larger scale influence it's the, all the influence that she holds seems to be solely directed towards like the male protagonist um like nikki brand's death doesn't seem to like have any kind of impact on the fact that she was a popular radio show host like we never we never explore the fact that oh this entire this popular radio show host who's known for you know giving you know love and relationship and personal advice to people has just completely disappeared out of nowhere and like what do we what do we do with that like that's never explored uh, so like i don't know it has like this very distinct like outside of the body horror elements which you know Cronenberg is like very 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 well known for um i don't know it just has like this kind of dynamic going on that shouts Cronenberg to me yeah that reminds me of crash i think crash follows that same same trajectory yeah and crash also has like that very similar kind of um, like psychosexual, I, I I think his his gaze into sex and his portrayal of sex on screen is also very distinct. Um, especially like looking at I don't know like Brian De Palma, who's also active right now in the '80s in this time period, making um, erotic thrillers. I think that there's you know there's a huge difference in the way that they're portraying sex, and I think that the fact that Cronenberg kind of is doing it non-voyeuristically, if that I, I don't know if like that quite. Um, makes sense like you don't feel like the camera is a spectator to the sex um in the same way that you do in brian de palma's films where like you're actively like it feels like you're spying on someone like it feels like you don't know like that this is like a private act um it feels staged i feel like in cronenberg films it feels like we positioned the bodies this way because it looks more aesthetic um it doesn't look like um yeah, it doesn't look like a low-budget porn that you would usually come out of the 80s in that fashion. Um, and yeah, Crash, like, very, like, like, yeah, like, like, <laughs> I would say, like, De Palma is the vanilla equivalent of, of David Cronenberg, <laughs> like, active right now when it comes to, comes to pornography in uh, 80s film. All right, well, it looks like that's all we have time for today. But we hope you all enjoyed this conversation. I definitely enjoyed discussing Videodrome with 
you, Kylie, and you, Alex. And whether you're a returning listener or this is your first time with us, thank you for tuning in. And please subscribe to the show on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And also spread the word. We want to reach a wider audience of film lovers and would love to bring in new listeners. Please follow us on Instagram at Cineposium and on Twitter at Cposium to keep up with dates and to keep in communication with us. If you're interested in subscribing to our e-newsletter, email us at cineposium.ucla at gmail.com. Thank you all again for listening. Until next week, take care, everyone.